0: SSH is a cryptographic protocol that runs on port 22. It's commonly used for connecting operating network services securely over unsecured networks. It seems like a contradiction until you realize that SSH makes cryptographically secure connections where one is not normally present. So SSH is used for remote login and command line execution. In the network world, we understand these connections pretty well. SSH applications are based on client-server architecture, but what about SSH in the IoT world? Well, in early 2022, Mandiant, now part of Google, found some malware using DropBear SSH on IoT devices. What Mandiant found, dubbed Quiet Exit, used SSH on OT devices to create a backdoor into the enterprise systems themselves. This malware was looking for access to email, if not general access, so that they could drop other tools on the victim's network. This is the story of how OT devices within your organization can be used to exfiltrate data and what you can do about it. I'm Robert Famosi. This is Error Code.
1: I'm Sonu Shankar, Vice President of Product at Phosphorus Cybersecurity. Uh, We are a security company HQ'd out of Nashville, Tennessee. Phosphorus, we are focused on XIOT remediation. And and what I mean by XIOT is is, uh, we refer to it as the extended internet of things. So essentially any connected device ranging from your traditional IoT devices in the enterprise um, cameras, printers, phones, badge readers, elevator control systems, door controllers, those types of devices to uh, medical devices or IOMT, such as infusion pumps, patient health monitors, and also um, IIOT and OT more in the industrial and manufacturing space. So we focus on any device that, You can't run an agent on a device that is not sending logs up to a SIM. Those are great candidates for us. And we focus on uh, remediation. um, And as a part of that, we also have a discovery engine that discovers the devices, assesses them for their current state of risk, and then enables our operators or users to go out and fix them and then monitor them. So that's what we do.
0: I think most people are comfortable with the Internet of Things. They get the idea of their toothbrush can connect and so forth. But this idea of operational technology, OT technologies, connecting? For someone who is unclear about IoT versus OT, how does Sanu explain the difference?
1: When you think of operational technology, you're thinking about devices in general that have the ability to affect change in the physical environment and it could either be that these devices can affect change in the physical environment or changes in the physical environment affect the way that a device is potentially sending data upstream and um and and this is where i think from uh from the perspective of of industrial settings especially um the distinction is important because when we think of industrial devices in general the understanding is that when you think about an industrial device you're talking a plc or a scada device um however you know um industrial printers for example um these are devices that generally people don't think of as well it's a printer how imp- how critical could it be it's not really really a plc it's not a Uh, It's not really, you know, uh, bringing down a printer. How how bad could that be? But if you think about if you think about the the printer as a uh, an operational technology device um, in the context of a manufacturing setting, for example, product is getting off of the assembly line and it is getting packaged. But that package requires a label slapped on it before it can get to the next phase of the value chain of the supply chain. Now, if the industrial printer footprint is taken out, you are essentially crippling that supply chain right at the start right at the at that at that assembly line just off of the assembly line. These printers appear um ac- along that entire supply chain as well. It could be the next distribution warehouse. You have new industrial printers sitting there for applying new tags and labels to that package. So for that physical equipment to go from a manufacturing assembly line all the way to a retail shelf, there are several industrial printers um, set up along the way. Um, so if you think about it from the, the, that overlap, there's a bit of an overlap between is that IOT or is that OT? Uh, it certainly, uh, appears to be a traditional IOT device because Hey, it's a printer, but at the same time, because the application here, it is, it might be a ruggedized printer that is made for, uh, to operate in an industrial setting that has a direct impact on an industrial and manufacturing workflow. Um, and, and that's really important to factor in. Um, the, the other angle here I would say is um, uh, when you think of the, the other or IIOT, the Industrial Internet of Things, um, you may also have devices that are used to sense or collect data from these industrial, these OT devices that are below them to then essentially um, enable monitoring or contribute to decision-making around productivity, decision-making around operations, around workflows, around safety and overall industrial operations. So this could include um, devices like uh, network gateways actually. So you're you're essentially talking about a device that can be a protocol converter. It could facilitate connectivity to remote sites that otherwise can't connect um, ba- using a, it could be a cellular gateway, for example. Um, and so below those devices, you could have your traditional OT like sensors, actuators, controllers, conveyor belts, all of those. But this additional layer above that is, uh, again in that it's it's a little um, uh, there's a bit of an overlap there because we're talking about devices that are in that industrial setting. Um, consuming data from those OT devices and potentially enabling communicating upstream to a control center, for example. And those devices are also, much like the industrial printer, uh, a gateway could also contribute to disrupting and, and dramatically uh, impacting operations in an industrial setting. And again, it's a, a gateway is not something uh, um, uh the, the the you know when when you when you pull someone a, a group of people they may not generally think of a gateway as a traditional industrial device because again it's not a plc um however um these are these are devices that are also devices you you can uh run an agent on there's no epp or edr that you can deploy into an uh, into one of the, these devices they may not be sending logs up to a sim for someone at a sock to monitor are these devices getting uh, is there unauthorized access is there are there changes being made to these devices that might put them in a position to be remotely compromised um and so i would certainly encourage uh your listeners to to also start thinking about the mix and the diversity of devices in industrial settings that go beyond uh PLCs and 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 robotic arms um uh, and and into the realm that is closer to what we think of as IoT.
0: Cool. So there's a lot to unpack here. So let's start with the IoT discovery itself. Is Phosphorus looking at network traffic?
1: So actually that's a great question. Um we do not depend on network traffic analysis at all. And uh, so we are the way to think about it is um imagine the network scanning technologies from the nineties that over the past few decades uh, we've come to realize that we can't apply them to um, this space in a plug and play fashion, especially because of the fact that they're just going to potentially disrupt devices, destroy them. Um, These devices are going to fall apart. If you, if you hit them with uh, an NMAP scan, for example, um, or one of the traditional vulnerability assessment tools. So we essentially rebuilt the, the active approach specifically for IoT and OT. Um, so we don't depend on network traffic analysis at all. We essentially have an active discovery engine that is purpose-built for this space.
0: Phosphorus is not looking at network traffic. Them, what is it doing? So if
1: you think of um, asset discovery in general, right, you, you have two approaches. One is you can have a passive network dependent solution, which is essentially listening to traffic, listening to traffic, and essentially listening to devices talk and make an assertion as to what those devices are based on us listening to them talking. Um, the other approach, which is the active approach, is not just listening to traffic, but talking to the devices in their native languages, right? So the difference and and the reason why this is an incredibly hard problem is, as you correctly mentioned, these devices are deployed in very uh, diverse settings. They are also in, if you think about industrial environments, these devices have a lifespan of, of 25 to 30 years. So some of them are, a lot of them are very, very old um and as such they all speak different languages they all have different sensitivities to traffic hitting them so you've got to be very careful about um how you talk to them and a, a great analogy we like to use is imagine <clears throat> imagine you're at a at a state department dinner okay and you're at a state department dinner and you have a large assembly a large gathering of individuals from Every country you could imagine that has an embassy in D.C., for example. And the task is without talking to anybody, all you can do is listen in on their conversations. You've got to know everybody's name and date of birth. Um, And from a computer science standpoint, you would essentially take forever to get those answers because, you're again, you can't talk to them. All you're doing is listening. Now, on the active approach, imagine you can speak every single language of every single country represented at that State Department dinner. You can individually go to them and talk to them in their languages. Uh, now we're dealing with a, a problem that is that has more um, that is well bounded, if you will. And and so that's essentially the way we discover devices. So it could be very old devices. It could be devices that are uh, building automation control devices that are primarily running BACnet, for example, um, or it could be an industrial device, a PLC or uh a a gateway it could be a camera or a printer or phone we're essentially talking to these devices the way they expect to be talked to and that's how we discover them
0: so is phosphorus just saying hello in 190 different languages
1: we're saying hello and uh how, how are you doing uh how do you feel today um all of those questions and that's actually a a, an interesting distinction here as well because when you think about the next step in the journey beyond discovery right so let's say within an environment you have essentially enumerated the full set of assets that are present in that environment um the next step would be well now that i know what's in my environment Let me go out and find out what's wrong with the things in my environment. So some of them may be running with a default password, which is very likely the case in in this attack surface aspect, if you will. Uh, Some of them are running really old firmware, so outdated firmware. Some of them are certainly running firmware that has known vulnerabilities, uh, in many cases, critical remote code execution vulnerabilities. Uh, Some of our of our end of life are discontinued. Some of them have serious configuration issues, which could be general configuration issues such as, hey, this device is running a remote service that it shouldn't be running, or it could be a configuration issue that maps specifically to that device family, right? Um, to that manufacturer, to that model, to that device type. So the next phase of being able to, the, the value from talking to these devices directly is that not only do you know exactly what they are with a high, this is a full confidence. It's either one hundred percent they are what uh, they are because these devices don't lie. So that's a that's a good advantage when you talk to them and they they respond. Uh, you know that they are what they are, um, and also you get to ask them questions about what's wrong with them, and this is where the from a the perspective of of overall risk assessment, if you will. A significant advantage over uh, a traditional legacy, primarily passive approach is that because you're not just listening, uh, because you're able to talk to them with an incredible amount of precision and, and depth, you're able to know what the current state of risk is uh, with those devices.
0: So Phosphorus has done the discovery, it's established a dialogue, and it finds out that the device is running outdated pieces of firmware, that the device itself doesn't really have additional resources to update. So what are some of the mitigation options for legacy devices that's in the field and maybe hard to access?
1: I love that. That's a great question, and, and especially when you think about it from the operator standpoint, right? And in, in, in an industrial setting specifically, you might have a plant operator that is one um, not ready to bring down a device to actually patch it, um, and two, in 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 several cases, they may not even be um, open to any more than cosmetic changes, if you will, to their footprint because of the fact that um, downtime, the devices are old, um, they don't want to deal with the downtime and the fact that potentially patching it might actually result in it getting uh, destroyed because of the fact that it may not be compatible. So in, in such cases, uh, what we typically see is, and, and, and certainly recommend, is to truly understand the threat model around that device. Not every day, you know, there may be vulnerabilities out there for that, that map to that firmware, but that does not necessarily mean you need to immediately go stop what you're doing and patch it, truly understand the threat model, truly understand um, the impact of compromise, truly understand the exploitability, if you will, of that vulnerability. Um, and in before you get to patching, there may be a lot of mitigating con- compromise, um, um, uh, compensating controls that you might apply to address the threat of that vulnerability. And this could mean, for example, again, depending on this changes from one device to another, uh, it changes uh, based on where the operator is, what the the the, um, the function that device serves in that environment is. Um, but it could mean going out and changing certain settings on that device to dramatically increase the cost of a su- successful attack uh, using that vulnerability, for example. So absolutely, it, it may not be that um, patching is the only um, uh, approach you have there. There will be a lot of compensating controls between you know, patching and, well, essentially taking the device offline entirely uh, so as to not impact downtime. Um, but actually making changes to the configuration on that device that dramatically increases the cost of of, uh, a threat actor compromising it.
0: I tend to think of OT as being kind of dumb. Either I'm on or it's off. I'm hot or maybe I'm cold. Well, as Sonu points out, there are actually some very smart devices out there today.
1: Yeah, so the age of these devices, so some of these devices are... uh, from a lifespan standpoint, right? If you think of the a traditional IT workstation, a lifespan is like three to five years-ish, right? Like that's kind of when we think of a lifespan of an IT device, it's it's kind of that in that three to five year uh window. Whereas in an industrial setting, the traditional, what we call industrial devices, again, these are these are devices that um worked without. The internet for a while, potentially, um, a- until recently, right? Until the last couple of decades, maybe the last 10 years. So a lot of them absolutely are from a different uh time. And they may not be uh their their lifespans are in that 25 to 30 year window. So they're not always gonna be candidates for replacement. However, um, devices like industrial printers, devices like gateways, uh, there may they may there may also be there may be devices like um, uh, uh, machine vision systems. You could have um, devices that are uh, truly bridging those the cyber and physical realms, digital and physical realms. These are relatively newer devices, and as you correctly mentioned, there are they may have more compute. Uh, they have; they're more resourced. In many cases, they are actually over resourced. Mm-hmm. In that, if you, if uh, another way I, I, I like to think about it is the, the 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 sum total of the slack residual compute in all of these devices might actually be orders of magnitude. Uh, absolutely, is orders of magnitude greater than the combination of AWS GCP and and Azure compute together. Um, and so so you've got you've got newer devices that are um, uh, that have a lot of compute and resources and you absolutely have older devices that need to be treated with more sensitivity more delicately because they've been around for a long time.
0: So turning it around and looking at the main threats that are out there, we're talking about SCADA systems, for example.
1: I think going back to our, our like that device diversity issue, um in some cases uh and in fact in, in many cases especially in, in industrial manufacturing settings um these devices are intentionally set up with default passwords because operators want to be able to log in and make changes um in the event of an operational issue that arises so Uh, as strange as it may sound, it is intentional for them to run with default passwords. Now, the other um, issue here is a lot of these devices don't have, um, they won't lock you out if you punch in the wrong password, which again, in in a moment of panic, maybe an operator uh, may be punching in a wrong character and you don't want that operator to get locked out. Okay. So one, they're running with default passwords. Two, they don't have lockout mechanisms. What does that mean from a threat standpoint? From a threat standpoint, it means, one, in the few cases where they are not running default passwords, it is going to be trivial to launch a brute force attack because these passwords, uh, they're, they're, you're not going to get locked out. You can essentially indefinitely attempt passwords until you get to the right one. In cases where they're running with default passwords, default passwords, you could essentially Google a device manufacturer and you will likely see the default password listed on a data sheet, right? So so from a threat standpoint, um, yes, uh, some of these devices may be hard to get to. Um, Some devices, many devices aren't, like we just talked about the the diversity of these devices. However, the, the common theme is they are more likely than not to be running with default passwords. Now, the problem with that is is if you have a device running with a default password, a you don't even really need a sophisticated you know, exploit to, to pwn that device. So while there may be several vulnerabilities, uh, known and unknown, if it's running with a default password then that essentially becomes the path of least resistance to a for a threat actor to completely own and and compromise and potentially repurpose that device um again depending on the objective of their attack um and 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 i think that is from a from a threat standpoint it is it's an incredibly trivial vector um and it, uh, you know, from, from, the, from the device standpoint, it, it doesn't even need to be a device that is, that is buried deep down um, uh, level zero, level one of the Purdue model. It could be some of the, the, the gateways or the industrial printers even. It's important to note that there's a Purdue model that
0: establishes different layers before you can actually get to the device itself. These can
1: be both physical and logical layers. Um, those are devices that are very likely also going to be set up with default passwords. And going back to our uh, uh, supply chain example, if you have a footprint with thousands of these printers and they're all set up with default passwords, a trivial ransomware vector becomes, as a threat actor, I'm going to come in, I'm going to change the passwords to all of these devices. I'm going to get, keep the operators locked out and that essentially becomes your ransomware campaign. Um, and 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 when you look at the 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 objective of the attacker here, um you could have uh, data exfiltration is certainly an objective. Disruption and destruction is certainly an objective. Extortion, which we just talked about in terms of ransomware, is certainly an objective uh, that can be um, that that can be accomplished with these devices um espionage um and persistence again these are nobody's watching these devices right their logs are not necessarily going up to a sim there's no agent running on these devices and um uh they 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 are incredibly attractive targets um because of that reason and the the other second order effect of what i just said here is because nobody's watching them and because we are primarily, the state of the market primarily is dependent on network traffic analysis today, the reality is that we don't really know how many of these devices have already been compromised. And so um, there, there is a, the, the, and, and again, if if you look at a traditional environment, if you pick any large enterprise environment, um, if I was a CISO, I would, let's say I go with, I'm going to buy everything that's um, uh, uh, market leader for endpoint, for cloud, for email, for identity and authentication, every aspect of the attack surface, I'm going to go with the best of breed I have. Um, but from a depth of security standpoint, because there isn't, um, there hasn't been uh, until recently, um, approaches that are actively going to the devices and grabbing state from the devices. There isn't a, there isn't a lot of knowledge out there around uh, what is actually the state of these devices out there. So,
0: so again, with this device that's nested, for example, buried deep. What Sanu is describing is that you could have a chain attack where, you know, a router allows you to pivot to some other device, which allows you to pivot to some other device and ultimately resulting in the device that you're trying to target.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really depends on what the objective of the attack is, right? So if, you know, it, like the, 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 what we're noticing is the, existing status quo today with industrial manufacturing environments specifically from a security standpoint is the focus is on a small subset of those devices the focus is on again let's talk about the plcs right but but if your objective is holding a an operation uh, for ransom or um to to cause serious destruction and damage, the reality is that you may not even need to get down to those level of devices you essentially could manipulate degrade or disrupt a uh, a set of gateways in that environment which could eventually have ultimately have the same effect um and so uh, so the, the what what i would say is is um the the diversity of these devices is a, is a is a major uh challenge that that needs more awareness
0: on. sanu mentioned that we might not know of these attacks. We're not really looking
1: or listening or understanding
0: them. I'm curious, is there something he can actually demonstrably point to as an OT attack?
1: Well uh the hard thing with that is when you when you think of Data X as an example, or even persistence as an example, data X you could make the argument that, well, if I have an intelligent enough, uh, you know, behavioral um, network behavior uh, anomaly detection, um, maybe, maybe you might catch it, right? Maybe even if it's a, uh, a, a, um, a, a, a very sophisticated actor that is trying to hide the traffic around normal traffic, you might still be able to get to it. Um, but because this attack surface aspect is, is, is for the most part unmonitored at the asset level, it's impossible to answer that question. And, and, and so, um, and especially because of the fact that active attacks, we may not know about them until we actually go look at the devices. Um, and so, um, and the other part I would say is in general with, uh, the threat landscape, we've we talk a lot about the threat landscape is evolving. It's it's always evolving, right? That, that's a that's a constant in our industry. Um, longer term, as organizations reinforce security controls around all other aspects of the attack surface, like we just talked about, with whether it be email or endpoint or cloud or other ad- identity. When this remains unmonitored at the asset level, this is going to, this aspect of the attack surface is going to continue to, to be, um, more targeted. It is going to be, um, uh, uh, more attractive to a threat actor because, especially because of the fact that of everything we've just talked about. So, um, as for, uh, you know, what those attacks might look like, this is, um, this is an aspect of the attack surface that I feel you, you could launch um, a successful attack with either one of the objectives
0: we've discussed. So obviously Stuxnet being the most classic example of an OT attack, that was a type of mind-blowing at the time, at least to me, something like hasn't really occurred since then. So there's not really something that we can point to per se.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you think of, so um, the, going back to the non-OT parts of like, we, we didn't talk much about cameras, right? But if you think of the Quiet Exit campaign, um, the Quiet Exit was, I'm actually looking it up right now, that was from May 22. Quiet Exit is a malware identified by Mandiant in early
0: 2022. and It is known for attacking security cameras, much like Mirai. However, unlike Mirai, Quiet Exit went after intelligence, specifically targeting email.
1: If you if you look into Quiet Exit, the uh, initial vector there was infected cameras, right? And 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 infected cameras were um were where how the 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 initial uh, point of compromise was. And and this same model we we've. We've seen recently with uh, some of the the Chinese activity in in the South Pacific as well. There 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 may be internet exposed appliances that are again running with with several critical vulnerabilities. Or you might have cameras. We don't even need to go go talk about Mirai and 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 a DDoS here. These same campaigns could apply more for for targeted campaigns as opposed to. Just to spray and pray, uh, you know. Let me let me gather every uh, camera out there with a default password and use that for a targeted DDoS attack. These devices are certainly great candidates for initial compromise um, steps for for um, uh, campaigns coming up active and coming up in the future. So more recently, I would say a Quiet Exit is, is is certainly one example we can we can uh, pull up.
0: Part of the problem is that we don't really hear enough about the OT attack surface itself. That awareness seems to be missing, and at a critical time.
1: So um, I want to say we, uh, you know, when we think of the big part of of what we've uh, covered so far is is network analysis is, is kind of the status quo, right? Like that, and and understandably so, because again, uh, operators have lived through a couple decades of uh you know seeing active scans bring down their manufacturing plants and as such have been conditioned to not ever do it again um so i think one major um development overall in the industry is the fact that we have now started seriously looking into active um, approaches that are purpose built for these devices. Um, and I think that we, that is certainly something we need, we need more awareness on overall because of, of the fact that, um, uh, you get a lot more depth of information from an active approach. Um, other than that, I think we, 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 we talked about the, um, the, the fact that, um, in many cases, patching may not be a reality, uh, just because of of the nature of the devices we're, we're 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 talking about and and the role they play in the overall manufacturing operation um and that is also where I I would say if, if there's one suggestion I would have is is uh uh starting starting small with what what you can what you can practically bite off of early so um make it harder for, uh, uh, make a successful compromise harder. And uh, this is where passwords, it it, it's, it sounds like fairly rudimentary, but um, again, because of how these devices are set up and how operators tend to get into them and the the other daisy chain set of devices around them, organizational changes may also be necessary to actually operationalize getting to a state where you can have strong passwords on these devices, so I think that that is another piece where um, it, it would be good to talk about asset ownership, right? Even even without going into to deep OT, even in traditional it traditional enterprise environments, um, you may not have a real owner for a device, meaning until that device stops working, IT may not even know about it. But it stops working. Someone complains, and then IT hears about it. Then they send someone over to take a look at it. Um, and even then, they're not about to go in and update firmware to the latest version or change passwords on it or update configurations on it. They're incentivized to to essentially get it back up and operational and move on., um, so I, I think uh, another topic here that's worth exploring is organizational change. Um, what truly, needs to happen organizationally from uh, an IT standpoint, from a security standpoint, from a building and facilities management standpoint, from a physical security standpoint. um, We are at a point where I think more conversation and more awareness needs to be uh, put on uh, what that means for organizations.
0: So in the scans that Phosphorus has done thus far, what is often, oh, I didn't know moment for some of the clients. What are the device types or types of situations they find themselves in?
1: Okay. So so I love this question. So, so what we've noticed, again, this is Traditional large enterprise, right? We're talking uh Fortune fifty. It could be a mix of financial services, manufacturing, healthcare, um you know, oil and gas, utilities. Um, what we're seeing is fifty to eighty percent of their entire IoT footprint running with default passwords. About twenty five uh to thirty percent running with critical CVEs about um 25% is end of life or discontinued um in in some cases around 30 to 35% is actually unknown and and this is the interesting angle of of um decentralized procurement meaning not every connected device purchase has a central authority approving it. Not every connected device purchase has an established workflow around, why are we buying this device? Who's going to operate it? uh, Who's going to maintain it? What happens when uh, we need to get it replaced? What happens if it stops working? These questions don't have a a, a central um, structured approach to to contribute to the decision-making. So what this ends up meaning is, we have owner we we may have some devices that have asset owners some may have the organization may have plans to get owners for those devices and some they don't they don't have owners and they don't have plans to get owners either because they never really knew they had to um and so i want to say just between the configuration issues the password state the firmware issues and the lack of ownership and the the overall product life cycle as in its end of life to discontinued that is a common theme uh it doesn't matter how resourced uh the the organization is it could be a fortune 25 fortune 10 environment we're going to see that uh, across the board it's really hard to get enterprises just even enforce good
0: password hygiene even harder to start thinking about devices that are under your control as well.
1: Yeah, I mean the the way the market I would say is divided today is is um, you know, t- to your earlier question, in many cases until something really bad happens, people aren't there it's that's just the nature of of how some of these markets are um who we are as as human beings uh it, you know i i think uh, just from a um uh, uh you know we need to really be inspired and motivated to act you either need and in the lack of um uh, a true regulatory requirement a regulatory push around you know thou shalt not have default passwords in your environments right there, there is no such requirement today um, and, and, and until, uh, so there's no regulatory push. There isn't a, we are, we know it's coming, but there hasn't been a want to cry, not Petya moment for IOTOT yet in, right. in, in, in North America specifically. Right. And, um, so in the absence of a regulatory push, in the absence of something terrible happening for people to truly get inspired, uh, and motivated to act, again, human nature. Um, What remains is the security leaders out there who are truly being proactive about it, who see this, who, who have the vision to understand that this is the least secure aspect of my attack surface. And as such, I need to be proactive about it. That's where we're seeing interest right and and that's where we're seeing a lot especially if you if you go outside the traditional but so far when you think um iot when you think ot security it's primarily the industrial um sectors that that have participated have, have, that have started deploying that have been deploying uh, network uh, traffic analysis tools but the the rest of the footprint all of those connected devices that are again they're not running agents they're not sending logs up to anybody um, the CISOs and the CIOs who, are, uh, who see that coming and proactively want to act are the ones that are um, driving adoption today.
0: Then again, there's something like the Biden-Harris Cybersecurity National Strategy. That should help. For the first time, it really calls out OT technology.
1: It, it certainly is a step in the right direction. It is, a you know, the the one step of the journey. Uh, it certainly helped drive awareness around it. it I think it had a whole se- separate section in the document, which was great. Um, but uh, I, I, there a lot of work remains to be done. And, and you know, individuals such as yourself bringing more awareness to the problem as well. I think uh, um, we we need to be a lot more proactive about it because this is one of those areas where um just from an asym, the asymmetry of the attack sophistication the sophistication required of a threat actor to um to actually influence dramatically outsized impact on operations it is the widest um it is the sharpest so so i think uh, that is a big part of why we need more awareness and again because of the way operations are set up today again going back to the industrial manufacturing environments we can't just go to them and say patch your plcs now <laughs> it's not going to happen and um and and that's where i think it's got to be a combination of 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 truly establishing a a security journey if you will getting them on the path to a point where their entire footprint is the most stable and secure it could be and in parallel driving change on the organizational front.
0: I'd like to thank Sanu Shanker from Phosphorus for talking about the need for more OT security. The idea that some of these devices that we have out in the field have more compute power today than ever before, perhaps as much as the cloud, well, that's got to get people's attention, right? Hey, if you're enjoying Error Code, tell a friend. I'm sure there are other people out there who like narrative information security podcasts. And I'd really like to hear from you. DM me at robertvamosi at infosec.exchange on Mastodon. And tell me what you like and even what you don't. I've got some great episodes coming up, including one on railroad security and more on quantum computing. And of course, more OT and IT related topics. Subscribe today, I don't want you to miss out.